0: Good boys and girls, welcome to the 2 Footed Podcast. Today is Monday the 11th of October. We're brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access anything you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. LibertyShield.com, use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and finally do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops which you can find on Etsy. Just download that Etsy app onto your phone. Search EPL Index or Anfield Index and there's lots of good merch there. Right folks, so, uh, quiet one obviously, international break, not a whole bunch going on other than international dross. Uh, France did beat Spain 2-1 in the Nations League final. Uh, Mikel Oyarzabal scored the first goal of the game for Spain. Karim Benzema made it 1-1 on 66. And then Kylian Mbappe scored on 80 to win the game. A contentious winner. um, Eric Garcia made an attempt to play the ball Mbappe was offside, but because Garcia made the attempt to play the ball, Mbappe was then ruled onside and allowed to go on and score. This is a stupid rule. This is a very, very stupid rule. It reminds me of a couple of years ago, Liverpool played Spurs at Anfield. And there was a Spurs player in in an offside position. Because that player was there... Dejan Lovren, who, you know, Dejan Lovren doing Dejan Lovren things, attempted to play the ball. The referee and and linesman had no idea whether he touched the ball or not. But because he'd made an attempt to play the ball, they decided to give a penalty to the Spurs player who received the ball after Lovren kicked the air and got brought down by, I believe it was the goalkeeper. Either way, this is the same thing. If Mbappe's not there, Garcia doesn't attempt to play the ball. Mbappe being there is what makes him attempt to play the ball. And the fact that Mbappe is offside should therefore rule him offside. He shouldn't be allowed to stand behind a player and then be deemed onside just because that player panics and attempts to play the ball. Really, really stupid rule. One that needs to be looked at, needs to be addressed. Uh, Credit to Mbappe goes on, and scores to goal. France have been the best team in that competition and are deserved winners. It would have been nice to see an Italy-France showdown in the final. Uh, I think that's what everybody was hoping for. Italy did beat Belgium 2-1 in the um, third and fourth place playoff. Barella and Berardi scoring for Italy. And some fell I've never heard of scoring for um, scoring for Belgium. Notable that Belgium basically played a reserve 11, a handful of, of first-choice players. Italy went with a bit more of a strong team. I mean, Chiesa started, Locatelli started, uh, Borea started, Donnarumma started. It would have been nice to see Italy, France in the final. It really would. But credit to Spain, they they got there uh, in the right manner. and um, And they gave a good account of themselves. And they can feel... Like they were robbed ever so slightly from that decision. Um just to run through some of the news at the moment, Rick Parry, who is the chairman of the EFL, has said that Premier League B teams being introduced into the English Football League is absolutely not something that will happen. So there's been quite a bit of talk about this. The Premier League clubs, especially the bigger Premier League clubs, have been pushing this idea. That their B teams, rather than having an under-23 team, having an out-and-out B team, which could compete through the lower leagues, uh, would be something of, of benefit. Now, I can see some sort of merit to it if they start out at the very bottom rung of the pyramid, if they have to work their way into the football league then I can say, absolutely fine, they deserve to be there. Now, what it is, is it's an attempt from Chelsea and City and Liverpool and United and Arsenal and Spurs to stockpile players. They would like them, obviously, to be in the championship. They would probably accept League One, but it would be a way for them to stockpile young players and say, look, you're still getting a lot of games, yada, yada, yada. Uh, It would be a way for them to circumvent rules regarding ownership of players homegrown um quotas etc cetera, etc cetera. those clubs reasons for doing it are not for the greater good of the game if they were they would suggest that those clubs start off at the bottom rung and not only that but they have to abide by very strict financial rules such as wage caps transfer caps, you can't have, I don't know, let's just say, for example, Liverpool decided that Loris Carrios wasn't going to be in their first team picture, so they're going to stick him in the B team, but he's going to be earning 60 grand a week, and they're going to be playing against teams where the entire opposition 11 don't earn 60 grand a week, or Divock Origi Or you get a player coming back from injury. Okay, well, let's put him with the B team. It would have to be done properly. I think Rick Parry is right to slap this down, especially in the manner in which it's been brought up. But we see it happen in Spain. And what they do is they they block those teams... So, say for example, if Barcelona B win the second division in Spain, they can't get promoted into the top flight because they can't have both teams. But them being in that second division means that somebody else is not. Somebody else is in the third division who should be in the second division, and then somebody who should be in the third division is in the fourth division. All of these things have a knock-on effect. If they earn the right to be there, if they work their way up from the very and I'm talking the very bottom. Of the football pyramid. If they work their way up. Fair enough. They've earned the right to be there. Just parachute them in. Means bumping out other clubs. And that's just not going to work. That's going to send other clubs out of business. So yeah. I think credit to Rick Parry. For standing up about this one. Credit also. To Thibaut Courtois. Who has accused football governing bodies. Of prioritising money. Over the wealth. Excuse me. The welfare of players who he feels have been treated like robots, it's about time players started to speak out more. This game is just a money game. We have to be honest about it. We just play because for UEFA, it is extra money and it is an extra game on television. Okay, for us, it's a good game because it's against Italy. And for Italy, it's a good game because it's against Belgium. But look how much both teams change their players. If we had both been in the final, there would have been others playing. He's absolutely right. Absolutely right. This just shows we play too many games. Next year, we have a World Cup in November. We maybe have to play until the latter stages of June again. We will get injured and nobody cares about the players anymore. It's about time players started to speak out more. Players need a real union a proper globalised union from the top down who will fight their corner, who will stand up to UEFA and FIFA and whichever other governing body that they're subject to, you know, Asian players, African players, North American, South American, whatever governing body they have, they need to be put back in their place. They are asking too much of players. They're demanding far too much. I've said this before. Why are we having a second international break already? Why is there one in September? If there's one in September, there doesn't need to be one in October, especially when we have one in November. If you want one in October, don't have one in September. There's too many international breaks. Players have been asked to travel far too much. I look at Brazil, set to play Thursday night their time, Friday UK time, Friday morning UK time. And those players are then going to have to get on a plane, fly straight back to the UK or Spain or Italy or wherever they're going. And then some of them will play this weekend. 48 hours after playing in Brazil having spent, I don't know, was it 12 hours on a plane, 14 hours on a plane? That's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. So it's good to see Courtois speak out, and hopefully more will. Uh, Other notable moment in the international break, Lionel uh, Lionel? Lionel Messi became, is it Lionel or Lionel? There's a question. Is it Lionel? Because I I hear it pronounced both ways. I'm going to go with Lionel because, you know, Lionel Richie is the hero of all Lionels. Um, Messi became the first South American to score 80 goals in international football as his Argentina side beat Uruguay in a World Cup qualifier. Um, 80 goals is a hell of a return. Considering he's not a striker and he's not Just a goal scorer. The way, say, Cristiano is just a goal scorer. He does everything else as well. He's their main playmaker. He's the best dribbler. The best passer. The best ball carrier. Whatever you want. Lionel Messi is the best of the best. In every team he plays in. So... 80 goals is a hell of a return. And when people will go, oh, well, Cristiano has 147 bajillion goals. But that's all he does. That, that's literally all he does. Messi does everything else. Um, yeah, I just it, it's baffling to me. Uh, Derby County are appealing against their 12-point deduction for going into administration. It's an automatic punishment. I'm not sure how. So, so their argument is the situation was called by, caused by the pandemic. This isn't true. This isn't true. Before the pandemic, Derby were in massive trouble financially. That's why they were selling their own stadium to themselves or to... They sold their stadium to another company owned by Mel Morris for a massively inflated price. And they got themselves in trouble because they didn't declare it properly on their accounts. Um, the 12 points is absolutely correct and absolutely should be administered. As, as, as harsh and all as it is. It just is the way it is. And you can't get special treatment. Uh Football-related but non-football-related just because it's it's out there and it's worth mentioning. Uh, Benjamin Mendy has been refused bail for a third time ahead of a trial facing multiple charges of rape and sexual assault. The 27-year-old is accused of attacking three women at his home in Cheshire between October 2020 and August 2021. Mr. Mendy, who was not at Chester Crown Court for the hearing, He's been held on remand at Her Majesty's Prison Old Course in Liverpool. He is yet to enter pleas to the charges of four counts of rape and one of sexual assault. The defendant was charged on the 26th of April, sorry, 26th of August, with three counts of rape relating to an alleged incident in October 2020 uh, and with sexual assault of a woman in early January this year. He is also charged with raping a woman in August. His trial date has been set for the 24th of January next year, and as things stand, he will be in prison until that trial. What's really notable about this is that he was first arrested last January. On his reputation. It is interesting that City haven't yet dismissed him from his contract maybe they know stuff we don't know maybe they're taking him at his word we don't know but it will be really interesting to see how that one plays out um i'm gonna take a quick break because that's just turned me right off for the day uh i'll be back in a couple of minutes Right, Um, okay. So over the weekend, I saw a couple of conversations come up regarding the best Premier League defenders and defensive partnerships and things like that. And it got me thinking, some of the replies to what I was reading got me thinking about performance versus CV. So... Oftentimes, players are judged based on their CV rather than their performance. What I mean by that is we see so many players, and Sergio Ramos is the prime example of this. We see players like Ramos hyped up as one of the greatest defenders of all time. And when you ask people to tell you why, their very first response will be, we we'll look at what he's won. Five La Liga titles, four Champions Leagues, a World Cup, two European Championships. But those don't tell me how he plays. Those don't tell me anything about him as a player. What they tell me is that he was part of great teams. Gary Neville is another one. Gary Neville was a good player who played on great teams. But I see often people who didn't really watch Gary Neville, either too young or, you know, didn't have the interest or whatever, position Gary Neville as a great player because of what he won in the game, because of how long he played. There's no doubt, like I say, that Gary Neville was a good player. And Gary Neville winning eight Premier League titles, three FA Cups, two League Cups, two Champions Leagues is absolute credit to him. But Gary Neville was never a great player. Ramos isn't a great defender. You can make a case he might be a great player, but he's certainly not a great defender. When you actually watch him perform purely as a defender, you will see so many errors in his game. Positional errors, judgment errors, just rash tackles, stupid things like that. Ramos is more highly regarded for what the teams he's played in have won than what he has done himself. Now, I will give Ramos credit. He is an exceptional leader. He's very vocal. He's pointed in his comments. You can tell that he's the type that others congregate around or others are drawn to. He has shown up in big moments. You can watch Sergio Ramos play for, well, not now because he doesn't play for them anymore, but you could watch Sergio Ramos play for Real Madrid against Levante on a Saturday and watch him gift Levante two goals and get himself sent off. And then on the Wednesday, he would play in the Champions League against Juventus. He would score a goal, have a great block, make a couple of big tackles and look a completely different player. Now, The other thing with him as well is there's a lot of highlights that go around about Ramos. You know, the big flashy blocks, the last-ditch tackles. Those are desperation defensive things in the most part. There are times blocks are great. Rodri against Fabinho is an incredible block. That's not desperation defending. That is brilliant defending. Rewind a week. Ruben Diaz on Kovacic. That's desperation defending. That's Diaz out of position. Lunging, committing early to something that that he doesn't need to commit to. Diaz on Mo Salah in the same game as the Rodri on Fabinho one. Salah has made a fool of most of the City team. Diaz is nowhere close to him. Hurls himself at the ground. People think, He's made a great attempt to block that. No, he hasn't. He's just thrown himself in the ground for no explainable reason at all. Last-ditch tackles, more often than not, are defenders making up for their own errors. Martin Skirtle was a master of them. He would always be out a position. He would get beaten very easily. And he would lunge in with a last-ditch tackle. Now, more often than not, you get away with it. But sometimes you don't. Sometimes you give away a penalty. Sometimes you're too late, etc., etc. Aaron wan is another one of these, constantly hurling himself into last-ditch tackles, largely because he's been caught out of position and has to charge back. We heard people for about a season and a half talk up these great tackles that he was making and ignore what caused him to have to make those tackles. In the last eight months or so, we've seen more people catch on to the fact that Aaron Wambasak is not actually a particularly good defender. He's very good 1v1. If he gets squared up on on an attacker, that attacker is going to have a very difficult time getting by him. He's got great pace. He's got really quick feet and he's very athletic. He can turn direction, change direction rather very, very quickly and very, very smoothly. So, That part of his game is good. Positionally, covering his defenders, judgment, timing, reading the game, all very, very poor. Ramos is basically him on crack. Ramos has always had judgment issues. Ramos has always had positional issues. You watch Sergio Ramos track the flight of a ball left to right and find himself out of position frequently find himself too close to his centre-back, too close to his full-back, whatever it is. Very good on the ball, scores big goals, great leader. Not a great defender. But the argument made for him is based on his CV rather than his performance. We can bring this more to the English game as well and look at those who are seen as the great Premier League centre-backs. John Terry and Rio Ferdinand. So John Terry was obviously captain of Chelsea for a long time. I think much of the credit he gets and much of what gets talked about with John Terry is that leadership, is that ability to captain a team. And I would say that John Terry, after Roy Keane and Tony Adams, is the third best captain. Of the Premier League era. There's no doubting his ability as a leader of men. As an organiser. As someone who would step up in big moments. Five Premier League titles. All as captain. Five FA Cups. Four as captain. Three League Cups as captain. And a European Cup that we didn't play in the final. He also won a Europa League. John Terry was a very good defender. Very, very good. He wasn't... He wasn't ever the best defender in his own team, though. When he broke into the team, he was partnered with Marcel Desailly. And Desailly was better than him. Then Desailly moved on. There was yeah there was probably a year or two then when Terry was the best but Chelsea weren't winning anything. And then Ricardo Carvalho arrives and Chelsea's defense goes from pretty good to all-time great. Ricardo Carvalho was without doubt the best center back in the league at that point. He was comfortably the better of the two at Chelsea. But yet Terry won Footballer of the Year in 04, 05, largely because players don't watch a whole bunch of games and a lot of them vote on reputation, not on performance. Most of these awards get given on reputation, not on performance, be it PFA, football writers, Ballon d'Or, whatever you have. Most of them are awarded based on on reputation, CV, rather than actual performance. John Terry was a very good defender. But this idea that he's the best defender the Premier League has ever seen is just not based in any kind of reality. At no point in the history of the Premier League was John Terry the best defender in the league. He just wasn't. There was never a real argument to be made that John Terry was the best defender in the league. Never. Never. And you can track, the, you can look at these things and you can, it's very, very clear who the best defender in the league was at each time. You look at through the 80s, it was Alan Hansen. Okay, it was Alan Hansen. Then Tony Adams hit a level where it was undeniable that Tony Adams is the best defender in the league. And Adams maintained that level for a long time. Until Yap Stam arrived. And when Yap Stam arrived at Manchester United in nineteen ninety-eight, there was no doubt Yapstam is the best defender in the league. It was Adams from about ninety to ninety eight. Tony Adams was just the best defender going. Then it was Jaapstam. Then it was Saul Campbell. Then it was Ricardo Carvalho. Then it was Nemanja Vidic. Then it was Vincent Company. Then it was Virgil van Dijk. At no point was John Terry the best centre-back in the league. Now, post Carvalho, he was the best centre-back in his own team. Pre-Carvalho, not so much. You can argue maybe, what, one season, maybe two? Chelsea weren't particularly good. I would say 3 is probably the only season John Terry was Chelsea's best centre-back. It was the end of the Desai era, his last season there. William Gallas sort of took that role. He he played quite a bit of right-back as well, to be fair. But Gallas moved centrally. You could make a real argument that Gallas was better than Terry as well. At that time, not overall, I think Terry was quite clearly a better centre back across the course of his career, but Galas was further along in his development at that time. But we'll say Terry for argument's sake 03 04, that's it. Prior to that, it's Desai at Chelsea. The two best defenders, if I'm picking an all an time Chelsea 11 on the best players to play for Chelsea, my centre backs are Carvalho and Desai. Your arguments for Terry are longevity, fair enough, and CV. What he won, but Carvalho won the same stuff while he was there. Desai's CV's pretty impressive itself. Two Champions Leagues. Two Serie A titles, a World Cup, World Cup, European Championships. Marcel Desailly's got a fairly impressive CV. A CV that can match and, in fact, go beyond John Terry's. Ricardo Carvalho, look what he won. Three Portuguese titles, a Champions League, a UEFA Cup. Three Premier League titles a La Liga title, a European Championships, his CV's more impressive than John Terry's. It's just that it didn't all happen at Chelsea. John Terry's all happened at Chelsea, so people think, oh, well, he's the best Chelsea've had, but he's not. There's no legitimate argument you can make that he, Terry was better than Carvalho or Desai. When they played together, both were better than him. The same thing goes for Rio Ferdinand. Regularly see Rio Ferdinand in all-time United 11s. Since 1990, I can name three better centre-backs for United than Rio Ferdinand. Same thing with Chelsea since, what, 98 or whatever it was that Desailly arrived. can name two better than Terry. But Rio Ferdinand has this reputation. He's got this impressive CV. It doesn't match what he did on the pitch. When Ferdinand played with Vidic, it wasn't even up for debate who the better of the two was. It was Vidic. Now, you'll see Vidic, often his his ability will be played down. And people will show you clips of Fernando Torres rinsing him multiple times. And that's absolutely fine. But you know why people talk about Torres rinsing Vidic? Because it was a rarity. Because nobody else did it. Torres did it. Multiple times. But who else did? Who else can you legitimately look at and say they absolutely murked Nemanja Vidic multiple times or even once? Rio Ferdinand used to get dragged into out of position And cut apart regularly. It never gets talked about. Because it was just expected at the time. He was overrated as a player. Because he was a really good passer of the ball. And he had really good recovery pace. But his positional sense of poor. And I'm not talking about early real. I'm not talking about West Ham or Leeds. I'm talking about at United. I remember watching the early part of the oh six oh seven season with Rio Ferdinand looking like the game was new to him. Looking like it was all new. He was really poor. And I remember... Seeing multiple pundits say at the time. This is the standard of defending we're seeing in the Premier League when we've just watched what Cannavaro did at the World Cup. Rio was miles off the pace, but when Vinich arrived, Rio's level went up. Rio was a really good footballer, but he was just a good defender. He was never a great defender. Leeds were delighted when they sold Rio to United because they rated Woodgate higher than they rated Rio Ferdinand. They wanted to keep Woodgate. They were happy to sell Rio. And look, Rio was a you could look at Rio overall, great passer, could carry the ball into midfield, was was ahead of his time in a lot of ways. But he was never a great defender. He was good. He wasn't ever great. And when I look at great United centre-backs from 1990 onwards, Gary Pallister. Pallister was number two in the league behind Adams for years. They were England's top pair. And they were substantially better than Ferdinand and Terry. Then Yap Stam. At a time when the great defenders were playing in Italy, you know, he would obviously go to Italy in 2001, but Yap Stam was the best defender in the world for about a year or two while playing in England. And then Nemanja the Vidic, who again was better than Rio Ferdinand. But Rio. Because he's got this really impressive CV, he won six Premier Leagues, two FA Cups, Champions League. Rio gets talked up as something that he just wasn't. He just wasn't. Rio was pretty much done by 2011. He was pretty much finished. The last couple of years where he hung on at United were were pretty ugly. Um, they did win, obviously, uh, the league in twelve thirteen. He was not good that season at all. He hadn't been good for a couple of years at that. We, that year, the year before, he wasn't good. The last season was really ugly, and then obviously he went to QPR and he just was embarrassing how poor he was. Um, and Rio had, had a lot of injuries as well. You remember, oh nine ten ten eleven. Rio suffered from a number of injuries. But it just always gets me when I, when I see these debates had about great defenders and, you know, Ramos' his name is brought up as one of the all-time greats. Oh, he's in the class with Beresi and Maldi. Not on your life is he in that class. When people talk about the great Premier League defenders and Terry and Ferdinand automatically come up. Now, much of this is obviously because they're English and there's an English bias So when match of the day did their Premier League team, they're the two centre backs they picked. Much of it is a longevity thing. Rio played in the Premier League from 95 to 2015, which is immensely impressive. Immensely impressive to play in the Premier League that long, to make 514, sorry, 504 Premier League appearances is, is hugely impressive. John Terry played in the Premier League from 98 until 2017. 492 Premier League appearances. All of them for Chelsea. He obviously went to Villa at the end of his career and he'd had that early loan spell at Forest. But neither of them are even the best defender to play for their own clubs. Now, Rio can make an argument he's the best defender to play for West Ham, obviously, in the Premier League. He can make an argument he's the best player to play, best defender to play for QPR, even though his time at QPR wasn't particularly good. He can say, well, at my best, I was better than anyone they had. He had a better career than Jonathan Woodgate, but Woodgate was was the more naturally talented defender. Rio was a more talented footballer. And I think Rio and Terry, a big part of their mystique is, well, they played together for England for so long. But a big part of why they played together for England for so long is that Ledley King and Jonathan Woodgate had such horrendous injury history that Saul Campbell stepped away from the England scene a little bit too early. And that Jamie Carragher was undersized and maybe was more of a system defender than anything else. But... There was a couple of years in the mid-2000s where Carragher was the best centre-back, the best English centre-back in the Premier League. You look at the 0607 through to the end of the 8 09 season, I think you can make a real argument that Jamie Carragher was the best English centre-back over that span. He wasn't as good as Terry and Ferdinand overall. Didn't have their careers. He won his Champions League and that's great. But he wasn't on their level overall. But their level overall is not where people put it. They're not in that elite echelon of, great, of all-time great defenders. Terry was a better defender than Rio. And a better captain and leader than Rio. And, and John Terry, like I said, top three captain in the history of the Premier League. Rio was a better footballer than Terry. Together they were a really good partnership, but together they won nothing for England. And neither of them, if I was picking an all-time or even Premier League 11 for their respective clubs, neither of them would be in it. If I'm picking for United, I most likely go Palace or Stam, but maybe Stam-Village. And for Chelsea, it's Desai Carvalho. It just is. It's Desai Carvalho. Oh, but John Terry won. Yeah, because he was part of incredible teams. Most of John Terry's career at Chelsea happened after the influx of Roman Abramovich's billions. But to win that first title. Ricardo Carvalho had to be stood next to him. Petr Cech, maybe the best goalkeeper the Premier League has seen, was behind him. Later on, Ashley Cole, top five left back ever. He was one side. You had Branislav Ivanovic the other side. You're talking about incredible talent there. You had Makaleli sat in front of them. Essien going box to box. Lampard. John Terry played in great teams. He was not himself a truly great player. Ashley Cole was a great player. Carvalho was a great player. These were better than John Terry. Terry is elevated because of them, because of what he won, and because of his ability with that armband, that leadership. That's where John Terry was great, that leadership side of things. Very, very good defender. Decent on the ball. Great leader. Better teammates lead to success. Rio Ferdinand. Great on the ball. Good defender. Was he a great player? At the time, for the for the time, sure. Overall, no. Played with better centre backs. Always had a pretty great goalkeeper. And always had Vidic. And Vidic was just. When I see him disparaged, it really bothers me that we see that I see players who were so good, and at the time, there was no debate that Vidic was better than Rio. None, no debate at all that Vidic was better than Rio. And now people look back and they watch highlight clips and they say, "Oh, but look at Rio on the ball. Look at that pay." No. Watch Vidic talk him through games. Watch Vidic make up for those positional errors. Did Vidic lack pace? Yes, he did. But Vidic read the game incredibly well. Rarely got caught out of position. Rarely got beaten 1v1 because he would anticipate things so well. Torres tortured everybody. It's highlighted against Vidic. Because it's Vidic. Not because it's Torres. Because it's Vidic. Because it was so rare to see this guy. Who was like a cyborg. Who would just dominate. It was so rare to see him. In any kind of trouble. Let alone left on his backside flailing at the ground. But you know what's interesting. Go and look at Torres's record of scoring against Nemanja Vidic. Over both of their spans in the Premier League. Now, Torres arrived at Liverpool in 2007. And he went to Chelsea in 2010. What year did he leave Chelsea, I suppose, is a good question. He left Chelsea on loan for the first time, in 2014. So go and look at games between Fernando Torres' teams from 07 to 2014, uh, and the man. Well, actually, I think didn't Vidic leave in 2000? Oh, Vidic did leave in 2014. Um, go and look at Torres' actual record of scoring goals against Vidic. Vidic arrived at United in 06, so he was there the entire Torres era in the Premier League. Just go and look at the record, and it's not what you think it'll be. It's not like Torres ruined them every time they played. There was about three games from seven years. Now, admittedly, Chelsea-era Torres is not the same beast. It is just those Liverpool games. But again, there's they probably played each other seven, eight times while Torres is at Liverpool, between Pups and everything else. There's three that Torres annihilates him in. And it's not even like it's all game, every game. There's one at Old Trafford where it's just, it's a massacre. There's one at Anfield where Village probably gets the better of him for most of the game, but Torres has one or two brilliant moments, gets him booked and gets him sent off. But like I say, those moments are remembered because of how rare it was for Vidic to get murked like that. Torres used to do that to defenders week in, week out. So we don't see them on repeat because it's Torres. We see it because it's Vittich. And You see it because no one else was doing it. But if you go back and watch Rio Ferdinand, Craig Bellamy, Adam alive once or twice. Peter Crouch used to destroy him. Those aren't great strikers. Like, good strikers used to give Rio absolute nightmares. Only one great striker, who at the time was the best number nine on the planet, gave Vidic that type of trouble. And yet I see people call Rio the best defender United have ever had. He wasn't even the best in his own pairing. Same goals for Terry. This wasn't the best. That's not to disparage them. They're both really good. They were really good. They had great careers. They played in great teams. They themselves were not the all time greats they're made out to be. But people look at the CV and not the performance. I'm going to finish up with the gossip and get done for today. Got a few days to get through. So uh, Newcastle could spend up to £190 in January without breaking financial fair play rules with Harry Kane and Kylian Mbappe within reach. I I mean, the level of nonsense in that Telegraph article, I I just don't think you you could even begin to, to quantify it. Rangers manager Stephen Gerrard and ex Roma boss Paolo Fonseca are being considered as candidates. I doubt Gerrard is. Fonseca, maybe, because he's out of work. Um, ex Bournemouth manager Eddie Howe would turn down the Magpies as he waits for the Southampton job to become available. This is trash from Football Insider. Uh, former Chelsea manager Antonio, uh, Antonio Conte would reject the chance to replace Steve Bruce at Newcastle. So, I can see that. I don't think Conte will take it just yet. Uh, but in the future, it will become the type of job he would want. Philippe Coutinho could be heading to Newcastle. So, what we're learning here is that all the papers are going to get every column inch they can out of Newcastle. Phil, Phil Coutinho would be a disastrous signing, but one that would maybe excite some people. Demba ba has made a tongue-in-cheek offer to come out of retirement to play for the club. Um, Bruno Fernandes has been in in contact with Rafinha regarding a potential move to Old Trafford. They played together for a year at Sporting and some really lazy journalist has decided that they're best friends and tried to make a story out of it. Antonio Rudiger is Real Madrid's number one transfer target next year. He simply is not because Kylian Mbappe is. It's just not true. Barcelona want to sign a midfielder in January and Donny van de Beek and Tanguy Endembele are two of the four options they are looking at. Uh, I believe the other two are nobody and are you kidding me because they have no money. They will try and get them on loan if they're going to try and get them, but I just don't see it. Uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is reluctant to let Van de Beek leave United in January. Mbloc and would block any moves Sign him. At what point do, do we report this as a, an abusive relationship where he's just basically got Donny Van der Beek locked in his basement? Manchester United and Portugal forward Cristiano Ronaldo is reportedly eager for the club to make a move for Federico Chiesa. Yeah. Uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Mohamed Neni could look to leave Arsenal in January. In search of first-team football. Liverpool are leading the chase for Olympiacos centre-back Papa Abu-Sisei. I will guarantee you here and now that they are not even in the chase for said player. Let alone leading the chase for him. He's on loan at the moment at Saint-Etienne. Because he couldn't get a game for Olympiakos. So, no. Liverpool are not after a second-rate Failure from the Greek league. Neither are Arsenal. And I would have doubts that Everton are either. Argentina striker Sergio Aguero. Turned down a move. To Juventus before joining Barcelona. To play with Lionel Messi. How did that work out? Juventus are looking to sell Aaron Ramsey. Best of luck. Nobody wants him. He's all, he earns too much money. Uh, Juventus are interested in an exchange deal. With Ramsey joining Everton. And Alan joining Juventus. So basically they want to give Everton someone they don't want who earns stupid money and hasn't performed well for them in the three years or however long he's been there and take back Everton's most important midfield player. Seems fair. Leicester are keen to sign Isco. I I doubt it. Uh, Roma are interested in Tottenham goalkeeper Josh Oluwamie I don't know. The 20-year-old Italian who's out of contract next summer has been in good form for the youth sides and could see a reunion with Jose Mourinho. Um, yeah, I've never heard of him. Never heard of him. Um. Let's see. I'm not sure why he's called Italian in that piece. He is... Nigerian born in London Um, Maybe Mourinho took a a liking to him when he was at the club I doubt it Jose doesn't tend to show much interest in young players especially goalkeepers so I doubt it Uh, Newcastle plan to make Khalidou Koulibaly uh, their marquee signing James Tarkovsky could be one of Newcastle's first signings since the takeover, while the Magpies have also discussed uh, fellow England player Jesse Lingard. Newcastle are interested in bringing in Mauro Icardi. Tyneside club are set to sack Steve Bruce. Graham Jones will take charge of the first game, with Brighton's Graham Potter in the frame to replace Steve Bruce. The UK government is close to agreeing new takeover rules amid a backlash from fans and rival clubs over the Saudi Arabian-led deal at Newcastle. So there's a lot of stuff that's, that's probably not going to come out about this, but the the UK government apparently had some sort of involvement in this to try and smooth out political relations with Saudi Arabia, and one of the guys who's heavily involved in the takeover, was involved in those government uh, government talks. It's It all seems very much like hush-hush, wink-wink, here's an envelope full of cash, go away type of stuff. Um, PSG sporting director Leonardo remains confident that Kylian Mbappe will stay at the club and insists Real Madrid should be punished for the pursuit of him. He is some nerve. Former Newcastle owner Mike Ashley is interested in a takeover of Derby County. Mike Ashley is a dreadful owner, and in no way should he be allowed to own another football club. However, if his plan is to buy Derby County, clear the, for for nothing basically, clear the debt, get them back to something something resembling mid-table mediocrity in the championship and they'll most likely get relegated this year so they'd have to spend a bit in League One, come up a division and then he would like to sell them on for a profit, absolutely fine if he saves the club, fine other than that, I don't want to see him ever involved in football again Uh, Juventus could have a chance to sign Paul Pogba if they can manage to sell at least two players who cares who cares Usman Dembele is uh, on the watch list of Liverpool, I doubt it. Leeds are confident that Calvin Phillips will extend his contract at the club. I don't think he should. I think maybe he can look to go to a a team at a higher level. He's definitely a Champions League-caliber player. Manchester United are preparing to open contract talks with Harry Maguire to improve the terms of the 28-year-old's contract. So... Harry Maguire, at the moment, is contracted until 2025. And United have an option to extend that until 2026. Harry Maguire will be 33 years of age by 2026. Why would you give him a new contract? Why? Why? He's done nothing since arriving to warrant a pay rise. Why would you give him a new contract? You have him under contract for four seasons after this one. Why would you give him a new deal? And he'd be 29 entering those four seasons. If United give him a new contract, that, it just will be yet another mark against the calamity that is their front office. Inter Milan are looking at Arsenal and France striker Alexander Lacazette as well as Real Madrid's Luka Jovic as possible options in January. Luka Jovic would make a great signing for Newcastle. If they want someone to get them goals, he'll be available on loan. And you'll probably be able to get him on loan with an option to buy. Go and do that. Sevilla are weighing up a move for Ben Breerton of Blackburn Rovers with the Spanish clubs, Moroccan Ford, Yusuf N. Naziri been linked to the move to Arsenal or Tottenham. I really like N. Naziri. He's really, really good. Um, it is funny with Ben Breerton how as soon as he became, became like Chilean, Ben Brereton, rather than just like from Stoke-on-Trent, Ben Brereton, all of these other fancy international, uh, European teams took interest in him. Now, I will say his career has also taken off. Um, prior to becoming Chile's Ben Brereton, he was looking like League One might be the level for him. He'd been very highly rated coming through at Forest. He'd moved to Blackburn, and it hadn't gone well. He scored two goals in his first two seasons there. But as soon as he switched national teams, or, or the, the talk began, he scored seven last season. He's got 10 and 12 games already this year. Tremendous. Absolutely tremendous. Fair play to uh, to Ben Britton. Obviously, I think this season as well, being the main man and not playing um, behind Armstrong is helping him. But, yeah, credit to him. He's uh, It's good to see players do well. Um, Finally then, the last bit of gossip. This is today's. Uh, Arsenal are considering a move for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Yep. Barcelona Vice President Rafael Just has played down the chances of the Spanish club being in the market for Erling Haaland. You want to do more than play it down, son. You want to just come out, come out now and admit that you will have no money. For at least the next two to three years. None at all. Neymar has suggested that the 2022 World Cup in Qatar could be his last. As the PSG forward is unsure if he has the strength of mind to deal with football anymore. Uh, He signed a new deal not that long ago. So my guess would be that he will probably retire once that deal is up. Um, His current contract expires 2025, at which point he'll be 33. And he'll probably go home and play in Brazil for a couple of years. Uh, Yeah, I I could see this being his last World Cup. I I genuinely could. Um, It is strange that Neymar will be 30 in January. I remember reading a piece about him in World Soccer Magazine when he was like 15 or 16 and his career just seems to have gone so quickly in large part because he's wasted the last four years playing for PSG Um Barcelona may offload Usman Dembele if the 23 year old does not extend his contract and they could try and replace him with Raheem Sterling so Usman Dembele is out of contract next summer, so they can't offload him. He will sign a pre-contract with somebody else. And Raheem Sterling will cost lots of money. Harry Kane loves Tottenham and will lead the club's rebuild, according to Fabio Paratici. Wouldn't pay much attention to what Paratici has to say. He came out with some bizarre stuff when he was at Juventus. Uh, Newcastle United's new owners are considering replacing Steve Bruce with Brendan Rogers, Stephen Gerrard and Lucien Favre... Those three things are not the same... Former RB Leipzig coach... Ralph Raniak is also being looked at... Uh, as... Potential sporting director... That would be a great appointment... That would be a great appointment... But you need to appoint him first... And let him pick the coach... That's what you need to do... You need to let him pick the coach... And if it means Graham Jones... till the end of the season... It means Graham Jones till the end of the season, but Ranyik, if he takes over, has to be the one who makes the decision. Newcastle will target four Manchester United players from the transfer windows open window opens, Anthony Martial, Donny van der Beek, Eric Bailly and Jesse Lingard, all said to be on the wi- their wish list whose wish list like genuinely, whose wish list is this? Is this the people that used to work for Mike Ashley? Is this the scouting department that has largely been dreadful the last five years? Or is this the wish list of some reporter from the Daily Mirror who probably supports United and wants his club to clear the decks? Jake Polden wrote this piece. He's an assistant editor. And the word agenda is in brackets, so I, I, I genuinely don't know but I am not going to put much stock into uh, Jake Polden being the guy with the inner, inside scoop on what Newcastle are doing. Juventus will use Aaron Ramsey as a make in their attempt to bring Paul Pogba back to Turin. The, the amount of glue that must be sniffed in Turin is, is really impressive. Uh, Ramsey turned down a move to Wolves in the summer, but now plans to leave Juve in January with Newcastle interested. Of course they are. Uh, Tottenham have been linked with American midfielder Weston McKennie and Swedish attacking mid- midfielder Dejan Kulusevski. Kulisevski is really good and I do like McKennie. I think Juve would be mad to sell either of them. Tottenham are eyeing Alvaro Morata as a possible replacement for Harry Kane. I bet that they're not, and here's why. Harry Kane scores loads of goals. Alvaro Morata does not. Simple as that. Liverpool are ready to step up their interest in Adama Traore. Right. Chelsea have agreed a new contract with Andreas Christensen, with the final touches being put before to the deal before an announcement. That's from the spoofer. Um, Italy midfielder Marco Verratti says he intends to Waste the rest of his career. Oh, no, he said said spend. I put the waste in there uh, the rest of his career with Paris Saint-Germain. This is from somewhere called France Info. So a pinch of salt, I think. Uh, That's it then. That is everything. That is today's show. No idea how long it was. Uh, About an hour and 10 minutes, maybe. It is what it is. You know I like to ramble. You know I go on tangents. Um, enjoy the rest of your days. I'll speak to you tomorrow. Take care, bye-bye. Podcast Network.